Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Jamie. And welcome to God or Not, the podcast where truth springs from argument among friends. This is episode number 17. And coming up, Jamie and I will be talking about Scott Goes to Church. Also in this episode, let's go to the instant replay. So grab your popcorn, sit back, and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, please direct your attention to the center ring. This is the God or Not Podcast. We're in for a great night of civil discourse here as these two warriors are wrapped up and ready to go. And now, let's get ready to dialogue! All right, Jamie, here we are, episode number 17. 17? And um, I, I, I think you and I both know that we have kind of a, a long piece ahead of us, and so I think... Uh, we can forgo the the chat, and we'll maybe you know throw some in later on. But let's just dive straight into Scott goes to church. This is the main event. Okay, so we've finally arrived at this long-awaited day where Scott goes to church. Actually, I've been to church quite a few times in my life. Of course, we, you know, we've talked about how I grew up in a religious household, so I'm yeah. very familiar with the church situation. Um, but I haven't been a churchgoer for many, many years. And um, so I was kind of surprised when my uncle uh, invited me to come speak at their church. and Because it turns out that they were having... Um, this, um, well, the, the name of the church is the Common Grounds United Methodist Church, and it's in Cambridge, Minnesota. And they gave me permission to uh, share this audio with you, everyone and with our with our listener and uh, <laughs> and also to, to mention them by name and so forth. And so, um, you know, so we got permission ahead of time for all of this. But uh, so they were having this uh, four week series of. Uh, it's a, a series where they comp- they talk about like science and faith, and so they would they pick these four topics where science and and faith seem to, and by faith they mean like religious, you know, religious a religion, belief. yeah, yeah, and so um, you know where uh, they could be seen as being conflicting or harmonious depending on your approach, and so they, and so they uh, for each of the scientific topics or for each of the topics, they brought in uh, a quote unquote scientific expert. And, um, <laughs> I nice. guess, I guess I qualified. Um, nice. and so, well, Take let's it just when hear you can it. Get it. Right, right. Exactly. Um, I'll, I'll play the intro to the thing here and then, um, you know, the, that'll explain a little bit more of it too. I will point out that, uh, in this introduction, my microphone, uh, in the church wasn't on at the start. And so, it kicks in like you know, a couple sentences into into my talk. So you, you know here what we this, go. It, it, this feels like like science fiction theater. What was it? Four thousand or three thousand? Oh, mystery science theater yeah. three thousand. Oh yeah, oh, that's what that it feels so awesome. like. You're you're right. like throwing <laughs> verbal uh, food at the uh, at, at the. So actors. we're gonna we're gonna be heck we're gonna be heckling. I'm gonna be heckling myself. That, yes, the mo- you are. The, I hope so. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. So here's the uh, little opener here. Well, now, as part of our Science and Faith sermon series, we have been bringing in a guest speaker each week to talk about the topic of that week so that Pastor Amelia and I wouldn't have to speak out of our depth on scientific topics that we know very little about, probably just enough to get us into trouble. Um, 
So this morning, we're lucky to have Scott Dickey here with us, um, and we're excited to have him here to speak with us. Now, uh, the topic that we gave him to talk about in 10 or so minutes is how the universe works. So uh, we kept it, we wanted to make sure to keep it really simple for him and not give him too tall of a task. Um, we did, we did uh, confine it a little bit more and asked him to, to speak about the start of the universe uh, and what science has um, discovered about that and what science can tell us about that. So with that being said, I will let him take it away and take on this impossible, perhaps, task. Woo, Scott! Woo! Woo Here's where my microphone is not on. Not a scientist. Ooh, there we go. Nice and loud now. <laughs> and on. Uh, I'm not a scientist nor a physicist. Uh, I do teach math. Uh, and I'm going to apologize in advance uh, for going over time. Um, 10 minutes, we can't talk about the, uh, how the universe works in 10 minutes. So maybe 13, maybe 13 <laughs> minutes will cover it. But, um, sometimes it's hard when a teacher gets talking about something that they're passionate about. Uh, it can be hard to shut us up. And so, um, and I've heard that pastors can be like That's that sometimes a good too. One. So. That's a good singer <laughs> yeah, right there. Who knows? Um, but in addition to not being a scientist, um, I'm also an atheist. And so you can imagine that I was surprised when my being a, not a scientist and, and not a religious person, when my uncle suggested, you should come talk to our church about science. But my uncle knows who I am, and he knows that I am passionate about science and that uh, I'm a science advocate. I've actually taught science before. Um, and then after I spoke to uh, pastors, Andrew and Amelia, they seemed very enthusiastic and comfortable with having me come talk to you. Uh, and, and so that's great. Um, but what they didn't know is that I'm, in addition to uh, being a math instructor, I'm also, uh, along with a friend of mine who is a Christian pastor in Ohio, oh, yeah. um, I'm, we've been over the past several months developing uh, a podcast. And if you don't know what a podcast is, it's kind of like a radio show on the internet kind of thing. And our podcast is about religion and non, you know, religious people and non-religious people coming together and uh, discussing things. And our first episode, which is going to be released in a, a, a couple of weeks here, is about the beginning of the universe. And Boy, so um, some serendipity there. <laughs> um, so kudos to Pastor um, Andrew and Amelia for embracing uh, what could possibly be opposing viewpoints. Um, cause really the, mm -hmm. they're putting their money where their mouth is in, in that case. And that is, uh, science really has to do with learning and about testing, uh, your beliefs and about, uh, embracing and, and engaging with, uh, opposing viewpoints. All right. So we'll take our first break there. I should point out, um, there will be, uh, something coming up a little later in the uh, presentation. Um, it's worth noting that, uh, the pastors of this church, uh, Pastor Andrew and Pastor Amelia are a married couple. And so that's important to know because they're going to talk about later on how they wanted to have a kid together and blah, blah, blah. And so so it's good to know that in advance. But uh, something right. that happened, uh, interesting happened at, at the beginning as we were kind of talking about uh, how this was how this was going to uh, come about. Like I mentioned, my uncle, um, you know, reached out to me and, and uh, um, he he knew that that this was coming up. And, and so, um, you know, it was, it struck my, my curiosity as I'm sure that he knew it would. And, 
Um, and so I met with uh, my uncle and with pastors Andrew and Amelia at a coffee shop in Cambridge, and you know we just we talked about things and and we found that uh, you know we were very much in sync as far as um, wanting to uh, you know find common ground. I you know coincidentally that's the name of their church right the common mm-hmm. ground united methodist church and so we were we were seeking common ground and and uh ways to communicate with each other and um you know we we shared the same uh interest and passion in in this direction and so uh we knew that right away that it would work out really well uh and so then yeah so then they said okay so we want you to talk about um the beginning of the universe and and like i said in the little intro there we had been been you know talking about it seems so long ago I know, but it also does. seems like also it seems just like yesterday yeah and so um but anyway so uh so that was uh anything you want to add here before we uh, dive into the beginning uh, of just, my uh, yeah just a, a little that i i think that it's important that um and even though it can be hard and difficult i as a christian i think that we should be completely open to these kind of things and follow the truth where it leads now obviously some people are going to think that we looked at the evidence and didn't follow the truth where it leads. Um, but that that's our intent. Anyhow, is to follow the truth where it leads. And I think that um, being able to have that confidence that your worldview is, is when you have that confidence that your worldview is correct, you can be open to uh, critique and open to just uh, following the evidence where it goes. I wholeheartedly agree with that. So we'll quit here and we'll we'll quit where we're ahead. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Have a good night. All right. No, uh, I suppose we might we might as well. I, I cued this more. up already. We might All as right. well listen to it. Um, oh, and one other thing uh, is that I had some uh, slides that I presented with the talk, and I will make the slides available. I'll, I'll put a link in the um, in the show notes. On I the saw website, those so. slides. They're not too bad. I will say that I'm a slide master. When it comes to PowerPoint, <laughs> and I'll say that they, uh, they, you, you, I think may have raised the bar. They're very good. All right, all right. Thank you very much. Okay, so um, they're not numbered or anything. So if anybody's following along, I can't imagine that would happen. But if you if you are motivated to do that, you can uh, feel free to follow along with the slides too. So here's the part two. Then I'm on. All right, next slide, please. <laughs> Well, while we're waiting for that, um, in the videos that that uh, you just saw, we saw um, pastors Andrew and Amelia gave us some definitions of what science is. And the first one was talking about uh, and analyzing and gathering information. And and science is that it's it's a it's in addition to being a body of knowledge, in addition to being a, a methodology. Uh, it also has a lot to do with what Pastor Amelia was saying, and that is the key word there was curiosity, and that has to do with the attitude of those uh, engaging in that. Um, as Edwin Hubble said, and his name will be coming up shortly as well, uh, equipped with his five senses, man explores the universe around him and calls the adventure science. And so science, in addition to being promoting curiosity, it's an adventure. Okay, So we're exploring things. Um, but before we had Edwin Hubble, we had a scientist, an Austrian, by the name of Doppler. Next slide, please. Nope, other way. It was, oh, it's my fault. No, I'm doing it wrong. Okay. So 
1842, Doppler first described what is now known as the Doppler effect. And uh, this is something that I'm, I'm guessing that probably most of you have at least heard of, and maybe you, you could even describe it. Uh, very often, the example that might be given of the Doppler effect is if you're walking down the street and a car goes by with a siren. Okay, we know how that sounds. It starts out with a high pitch and then goes to a low pitch. The siren is, isn't actually changing. It's just our perception of it is changing with that, eh, that kind of effect there. And so, <laughs> so we're familiar with the Doppler effect. And the way that it works is that when your sound source is static, is, is standing still, then the sound waves kind of go off in all directions uniformly. But when the, uh, the image on the right there is when the source of the sound is moving, the sound waves in front of the vehicle get kind of compacted together, and that increases the frequency and makes it sound a little bit higher. The sound waves behind the vehicle will get kind of spread out a little bit, and that lowers the frequency and makes it sound a little bit lower. Now, what does that have to do with the beginning of the universe? Well, the Doppler effect works for anything that trans uh, that travels in the form of waves. It works for sound, it works for uh, radar waves, maybe you've heard of a Doppler radar, uh, and it works for light as well. So in the 1920s, uh, scientists like George Lemaitre, and, who incidentally is a, was a Catholic priest, and Edwin Hubble, mentioned before, not a priest, uh, they noticed that the galaxies outside of the Milky Way, when they looked up into the night sky, the galaxies outside the Milky Way had this little uh, reddish tinge to them. And they were familiar with the Doppler effect, and so from that they deduced that those galaxies were moving away from, from our galaxy. In fact, all galaxies in the night sky have this we call the redshift, and those that are further away from, from the Milky Way are shifted more towards the red, so they're going away more quickly than the closer uh, galaxies. And so what that means is that our universe is expanding. And so they decided, well, if the universe is expanding, maybe sometime long, long time ago, the universe was very small. And thus, the Big Bang Theory was born. <laughs> so the church was one of the first to embrace the, uh, the still young idea of the Big Bang Theory. And Pope Pius XII not pictured here, but I like this picture. Oh, thumbs up. Uh, Pope Pius XII declared that the expanding universe or, or, or the, the Big Bang Theory was evidence of the fiat lux, or let there be light, and proof that God and Genesis were true. Science, however, was a little bit slower to accept the idea of the Big Bang, and rightly so. It was still a young, uh, a young idea, and it really had only passed the first two of the four stages of the scientific method. The first step being observation, redshift. We see this thing in the sky. The second thing, the second step was hypothesis. That's the Big Bang Theory. Maybe the, maybe the universe is expanding, that's why it's like this. We are still in the midst of the third step, which is uh, testing our theory. And then, of course, the fourth step at the end would be to form a conclusion based on, the t on that testing. And then that's repeated as a cycle over and over again. All right. We'll break in here for a second. I did want to point out a couple of things at this point. I, I don't know if you know this about me, Jamie, but I had tend to be self-critical after I would give a yes, talk like this. Yes, you are. <laughs> and, then, and when we were done, when we were done, yeah, how many times have I said, have I said let's just record that one over again. Right. Can I have All a redo on that? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Mulligan. 
So, so um, I, I wish that I had spent a little more time connecting the uh, the redshift idea to the Doppler effect about how you know uh, if if you can see the slides, I, I showed a picture which showed how you know it showed a in this case it showed a star moving, but it would work for um, for a galaxy as well. Uh, how if if it's if it's moving, then the light waves coming off of it in front of it are compacted just like in the Doppler or just like with the sound waves. And then the waves behind it were, were stretched out and red, the red color, the red end of the spectrum of the rainbow has longer uh, wavelengths. And mm-hmm. then at, at the blue or the, you know, the ultraviolet end of the spectrum, there, uh, shorter wavelengths. Uh, there was also one moment there when I said, um, uh, you know, there was a little bit of a laugh there and it was because when I turned, when I, went to the next slide, it showed a picture of the Pope giving a, a thumbs up. You know, the, he was, the he was giving a pope. thumbs or up. The, uh, our last Pope. It was our last Pope, wasn't it? It was, no, pope, I think it was pope the current one. The, no, it was uh, Pope Francis, oh, right? Okay, so, right? Pope yeah. Francis. And so we, uh, um, he was clearly not the Pope that, you know, that right. was there back right. then. But I just, I just liked the picture. He was like smiling and giving a thumbs up. So anyway, so any thoughts from you so far? Or what do you? Yeah, no, you talked about, what's interesting, you talked about like, they were slow to accept the Big Bang, and mm-hmm. I think there's some people still slow to accept it. Um, so I guess my question would be, at like, at what point, like, I, I get that we hold all scientific conclusions or nearly all scientific conclusions with an open hand, kind of mm-hmm. tentative, right? Like, this is our, our, our best uh, guess or and this is this is where we think all the evidence leads or whatever and right. um, so we're going to go with this for now until it's in, it, it when and if it's overthrown at, like mm-hmm. at what point do we get to that point so for instance I know you and I have talked about the idea of nothing before and I recently talked to someone else about um, the idea of nothing like the uh, philosophical understanding of nothing, like no thing. And mm-hmm. I think you may have mentioned, but I know this other person did for sure, because it was more recent, uh, mentioned that, you know, well, we never had any experience with nothing. So, you know, maybe. We, I mean, we just don't know what nothing could do because we've never had experience with it. And I'm just wondering, like, at, at what point, like, if it's true that nothing is no thing, then we'll never have any experience with it. Is it right? I mean, is that something that will always have to be an open-ended question, or is that something that we could at some point go? Well, hmm. philosophically, this seems like it would be a, a, a right, right, you know, non sequitur or contradiction or something. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, you know, at what point well, I mean, in, in these things in do the- you say, "Yeah, we're, we're pretty certain that this can or can't be, or whatever." Right. Well, the short answer would be uh, when the evidence indicates it. And so, uh, in the in the context of the Big Bang, um, at the scientists were slow to accept it because we didn't just have we didn't have enough observation. You know, it was just we right. just it was like something that was just noticed, and and you mm-hmm. know we just started to investigate it. And so, um, you know, so as evidence gathers and builds and so on, um, you know, tweaking if necessary here and there, adjusting things. Yeah, I mean, even um, Einstein pushed back against that initially. Um, about about that idea of the expansion. Um, well, of the I mean, if, if you know, that you, would that would again, that would be smart, rightly so. Yeah, you're having right? some so, smart people uh, push back against the idea. And uh, well, it, it's not so much pushing back against the idea; it's pushing back against adopting the idea too quickly. 
right? And and so it's not so much right. saying no, that that can't be it. It's more it's more saying, well, let's just hold our opinion for now. And so then as and so then it's a ideally. Uh, it's a gradual, a gradual situation. Now you might come across philosophers, uh, you know, Thomas Kuhn, for example, he's very much in, he says that science changes by massive paradigm shifts. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, there's some historical basis behind that too. But, but in general, ideally, you, you know, it would be a gradual change as you develop more and more evidence, then there's a slow change or a slow adoption. Um, and so that's kind of what they were talking about. Now, if you're asking about um, the idea of nothing. I mean, you sure you can define nothing as not a thing or as no things. And, um, um, you know, if it's, uh, you know, if, if you're suggesting that quote unquote, prior to the big bang, uh, there was no things, um, you know, that's, we, I mean, we don't really, we don't have any observations or any evidence at all about anything before quote unquote, before the big bang. And so, um, you know, it's, we, we may be hasty if we're saying, you know, well, how much more do we need before we can wrap this thing up? Right. You know, it's, it's like one of those things that we don't even understand how we might go about getting that information. But as we learn more and more, you know, our, as our knowledge grows, we do mm-hmm. uh, occasionally learn, you know, have, gain new tools and, and, you know, new approaches and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. so, um, so as we, you know, even though, right now it might seem like there's no way I can imagine that we could ever learn anything about, you know, before the big bang. Um, you know, we, we don't know what, what we'll have at our, at our beck and call in the future. So it's, it's tough to say. All we can say right now is that we just don't know. Okay. All right. So let's go on to the next part then. But over time, more evidence was gathered. For example, they noticed that there was an abundance of light elements in the universe, meaning like hydrogen, helium, lithium, and so on. And that fit well with the Big Bang uh, models that they had of the universe at that time. They also noticed that uh, the formation and distribution of galaxies matched well with the idea of of the Big Bang. In in other words, uh, the galaxies that were further away from us, meaning that the light that was coming from those galaxies was from a long, long time ago, uh, were older. And the galaxies that were nearer to us, which uh, were younger, and so that kind of matched with their theories. And so they're gathering information. Um, But the kicker came partly by accident in 1964 when two scientists by the name of Penzias and Wilson discovered something called the cosmic microwave background. And what this is, is this is a picture of the night sky. Um, the image here is in two dimensions, but the, the information that they gathered was in three dimensions. And they also color enhanced it here to make it easier to read. But what this is, is a, it's an image of microwave radiation throughout the universe, and it permeates the entire universe. And what it's a result of is if you, t- if you have a ball, a super hot, super dense, imagine the entire universe down to the size of a ping pong ball. Okay, it'd be very hot very dense. If you spread that out rapidly, you get these fluctuations and it it would look exactly like something that they observed. And so that was very strong uh, evidence in favor of their uh, young theory at that time. And so the evidence tipped the scale significantly to give us this current model. And so we can see that, so time is 
uh, on the horizontal scale there, and, we, and our current time is on the far right. Okay, that's what our universe looks like today, and so we can kind of trace the way it works uh, as we move backwards to the left. Using this model, we can trace back in time, back, back, back to a younger universe, and we can see that uh, cosmic microwave background. Okay, that's kind of the afterglow of the Big Bang, if you will. And then immediately before that, there was this period of rapid expansion or inflation, and that's what caused those fluctuations in that microwave background. All right. So we'll take another break here. Anything? Uh, one, one thing I want to quick point out is that, you know, the idea of rapidly expanding, it, it reminded me of um, Silly Putty. Have you ever played with Silly Putty? Is that uh, oh, too yeah. long ago for you? No, okay, no. so you played with Silly Putty. Oh, yeah. And if you, if, you, if you kind of spread it out in your hands a little bit, and if you pull it apart quickly, it kind of tears, and there's going to be holes, and it gets kind of yeah. kind of clumpy but if you pull it apart slowly then it can spread you know then it can smoothly spread out and right. and uh, it's a little bit of a different situation and so that's when you look at that image of that cosmic background radiation uh, microwave background radiation then that's that's why we that's how we know that there was rapid expansion is because it had that kind of that clumping effect and so um you know now we're getting into all kinds of mathematics right now we're talking about chaos theory where tiny yeah. little tiny little to call them microscopic would be a gross understatement, but tiny, tiny little fluctuations or little, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Tiny little variations uh, in, in the energy distribution um, can cause these big, you know, drastic noticeable differences when it's spread out very rapidly. So what are your, what are your thoughts on, on uh, what well, we talked about? I think, um, I think the, um, I'm so old that the putty I used still had mercury right. in it, man. All right. So, oh, okay. <laughs> that's right. No, I think that, no, right. that sounds pretty. One thing I, when, when I was listening to it um, before, you know, before we did this, I think I remembered, um, didn't they end up finding this um, radiation background because microwave, microwave radiation background because of like bird poop? Um, and that was, that was like part of the process. Like there was a bunch of bird poop on their, on their dish. Oh, really? And it, it, yeah. I, it's a really hmm. interesting story. And it's a way it forced them to, to go out and, and do something else. I, the, 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 the short story is, is, is it was the, the birds pooping all over the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the satellite, uh, forcing them to do something mm -hmm. different that caused them to notice that. Hmm. It's it's a yeah, kind of a I, really interesting story. It may just made right. me think of it. You'll have to look it up when we're done with this. Now, yeah, now I got to look it up when we're all done here. Yeah, I, I I knew that there was some. It was it was kind. It was an accident how they stumbled across this. Um, I didn't hear the bird poop story about that. Yeah. Be hilarious. Yeah, if yeah. that was true. Yeah, well, it some... just goes to show you that you know sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. Anything else, or should we go on to no, the, to the next on. bit here? Move on. All right, moving along. Controversial. All right. Uh, but before that, things start to get a little bit iffy. Okay, uh, our our equations start to break down. Many of the equations that they use to uh, to model the Big Bang are, are based off of Albert Einstein's general theory of relativity. Uh, but they start to break down as we get closer and closer to a time zero. Okay, and that, of course, is um, been lately. Um, examined by more modern cosmologists, Stephen Hawking would be one of them, the late Stephen Hawking. Uh, but they have, they've, they've come up with some ideas about what might have happened before that. 
Um, for example, Stephen Hawking suggested that maybe time is round at the beginning. So uh, he described it as round. And what that means is that maybe time was bound but didn't have a first instant. Uh, in fact, when uh, Pope Pius XII declared uh, the let there be light had been proven, Stephen Hawking was one of his consultants at that time. And, and he, he later wrote that he was glad that uh, the Pope was unaware of what he was going to be talking about that day, and that was the fact that maybe there wasn't a first instance. So, um, so he dodged a bullet there. Uh, but other ideas, or maybe maybe our universe is like a bubble forming in a in a bubbling, uh, boiling pot of water. You know, maybe there's universes popping up like bubbles, or maybe um, maybe the universe is like sheets hanging on a clothesline, and, and the Big Bang was two of the sheets banging together in the wind or something along those lines. But these are all conjectures at this point, and, um, you know, we're still looking for ways that we can gather information about those. All right. Any, anything to interject here? Uh no, I mean, I think that, well, yes, because I said no, and then I started to talk, so I guess I will. Um, <laughs> okay. The, I, I've always found it interesting, the the different theories that are out there, mm -hmm. and how um, when there seems to be maybe a dead end or um, a, a time when you get to, uh, I don't know, a place of just... Uh, uncertainty that all kinds of other um, models form and all kinds mm -hmm. of new different crazy beliefs and not necessarily crazy, but just other kind of models form and, and how that, that, that those even fringe, some of the fringe models help to mm -hmm. push um, things along because it's forcing uh, us, and I say us, I mean just the scientific community, so I guess it's not us, them. It forces them to think um, in, in a more general way and to think kind of, I hate to say outside this box, it's so cliche, but it does help <laughs> them to think outside the box with say all it. these, with all these, you know, you get the kind of, the, some of the, some of them are very fringe, radical mm -hmm. ideas. Um, and even if they're not true, it seems they've been helpful to kind of push the um, push other ideas forward and in more in the spotlight and helps them look at other angles in, in different ways. Mm -hmm. So I think that the, while some of the, some of these different ideas might be fringe, I think they're all very helpful. Sure. Sure. I mean, like imagine, you know, you're walking through the forest, right? You're following this well-marked path and then you come to the end of the path. Well, what do you do? I mean, you can't continue the way you were. Right. And so you start looking you for, you start glance. Right. Exactly. You look around for other trails and, you know, maybe the safest trail is to climb this rock face, which might represent, you know, one of the more fringe ideas. You're like, what are you crazy climbing that rock face? And, you know, but maybe that turns out to be the way around, you know? And so, and so, yeah. So, so as we reach the, the end of what we know, not only do we uh, open up the door for creativity, I suppose we could call it uh, to be diplomatic there, create creative solutions. Um, that was very, then, very diplomatic of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought so. Uh, creative solutions. But then um, so then that gives us direction to look. I mean, it gets so then. OK, so so you're suggesting we climb this rock face. Well, let's check it out. Let's try it out. Let's you know, let's look around the corner. Let's climb a little ways up and see what happens, you know, that kind of thing. And so so, yeah. So, I mean, it does drive. Um, you know, when we don't have a clear path like that, when we don't have 
hard science to to show us the direction. We kind of have to, um, you know, we kind of have to look for for other approaches, and you know, that's a perfectly yeah. legit part of the process. Now, we we want to make sure that we don't, you know, we don't want to you know, commit to climbing that rock face until we, you know, until we have, you know, it's reasonable for us to, to think that that's the path, but still, you know, it's a, it's still a valuable part of the process and, yeah. and it's all, all in search of knowledge, I suppose. All right. So let's go on to the, unless you have anything else to add, nope. we can Next. go on to the, all right. But where does that leave us now? Was Pope Pius right? Well, we have, uh, there's lots of discussion going on amongst scientists and theolo- uh, theologians and, and, you know, regular old folks like us. Um, there's lots of disagreement and there's some agreement. And, and, um, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, when I'm occasionally asked, well, what do you think? As an atheist especially, I'm, I'm asked, what do you think? What, what do you think started the universe? And, and I have a response. I can give a response. And I feel like my response is supported by scientific uh, consensus. I feel like I'm confident that my response is correct. Uh, but the response that I give is, can be very frightening to some people. It can be very um, murky. Um, and, but my response is, I don't know. And I think that's important. Uh, I think that science... Science embraces the unknown. Science uh, does not fear the unknown. A scientist is not worried or is not afraid to go forth into the unknown. As scientists, we all um, use that as a guide on what direction we should do our exploring, where we should go looking next, and that kind of thing. Uh, Mary Curie was a, a very famous scientist. In fact, she's the only scientist in history ever to win two Nobel Prizes in two separate scientific disciplines. Uh, She said, nothing in life is to be feared. It's only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that that we may fear less. And so you can see that curiosity that we were talking about before, that sense of adventure, okay, that sense of exploring. Uh, So maybe the next time you're walking down the street and a police car zips past you with the siren blaring, maybe it will ignite that curiosity in you and encourage you to go out and explore the unknown a little bit, uh, just like your fellow explorers did a hundred years ago. Thank you for your time. Hooray! I survived. Thank you so much, Scott. <laughs> did you notice the, uh, did you notice the uh, clever uh, rhetorical device of suspense that I used when I was talking about my mystery answer? Yes. That would use, <laughs> you know what? I've, I learned about that. Just kind of slowing things down is a more methodical pace and more spread out. And it was nice. I, I thought it was like, can I, am I able to expound here on what I thought of the whole thing? It's just the appropriate yeah. Okay. So I thought, first of it's all, your podcast too, right? It, well, I didn't know if now was a good time. Um, no, yep, perfect. So I thought the church was cool for having you in. I think that's, that's really good that as a Christian, we need to be open to hearing from other people. And as much as we may not like it or as much as we might be afraid of it. Um, ultimately I think truth lies at the foot of the cross. So I got nothing to fear. So, you know, you know, I, 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 yeah. And so I think that kudos, like you said, to the church and the pastors there for having you out. Also, I think you did a really good job. And what this reminds me of is, 
Uh, of course, you're familiar with the late Ravi Zacharias, who is an apologist and itinerant uh, preacher and speaker, and he recently died. Mm-hmm. But he uh, he was asked to come speak at places that that you would never in a million years think a Christian apologist would be allowed to speak in. So mm-hmm. he, he has spoken in many uh, mosques, and um, he also spoke at the the Mormon uh, Mormon um, Tabernacle, which was oh, okay. a big deal. But the main thing that reminded me of it was that. I, I don't want to say that he tiptoed, right? But he was, Ravi Zacharias came in um, and and he was respectful. And mm-hmm. so it was, it, 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 and so I think that's why he, he gets asked back because he had a way of being able to speak what he thought was truth in a way that wasn't confrontational and in a way that, um, that other people found, um, to be um, at least enjoying, if 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 not um, something they wanted more of, right? And that's right. that's hard to see. Um, you know, that's hard to see around here anymore. That's right, right. It seems like nowadays, you know, everybody's so polarized. It's like it's either hate or love, and there's nothing in between. Right. But you know, there we gotta you know bridge that gap unless unless we are unless we're satisfied having hate. Floating well, around. You I know, think if, our if podcast we- is hate and love, and not a whole <laughs> lot in between. Either really hate each other, or I, I don't think it's, I don't really, think it's really hate. Uh, I think it's more of a, a, a posing of hate. Uh, but anyhow, I, well, anyhow, that's I, well, what I, I, sh- I thought I, you did a good job of going, like, because you could have gone in there guns blazing. And, you know, you could have really offended a lot of people. Right, and, right. And so you had a tough job. How do I go in? And tell them, hey, as an atheist, um, I don't know if anything I'm leaning toward their, you know, uh, not letting there be light. And so at least not the way we think of it. Like, how do you mm-hmm. go in there and and and, you know, and manage that? I thought you did your job. Well, you know, I was I was thinking, you know, they just asked me to come in and talk about science. And, and um, I, I didn't want to walk into their church and, you know, be insulting people and. You know, I you know, and I I had even thought that well, maybe if they do this again, maybe they'll invite me back. And it, you know, if they do, that's fine. If not, that's okay too. Um, I enjoyed the experience. Everybody there was uh, was uh, really quite uh, welcoming and and kind to me. Of course, if there were people that hated my guts, maybe they didn't. You know, maybe they just didn't talk to me. So, <laughs> but everybody everybody that I ran into was was very positive and. And, uh, you know, it was really interesting. And, and uh, I should point out that they do have recordings, uh, video recordings of the uh, of all of their what do you call the Sunday meeting, the Service. services, right? The service. Um, and and so if anybody wants to go on to their onto their website, I <laughs> common ground, But yeah. And, and so but but we're only part the way through here because they're because uh, for, for the talk they had. There was two parts to the discussion, right? There was they had one person come in to present the scientific side, quote unquote scientific side. I'm I'm not saying this meaning that they're ex- necessarily excluding each other, but uh, they uh, one person come in to present the science side, and then and then one of the ministers would talk about uh, the faith side. And so we got um, Pastor Andrew. He's got uh, we got his stuff coming up, and then after the uh the whole thing there was a q a and so we'll talk more about that 
uh, maybe after we hear from uh, Pastor Andrew. But any uh, any last comments before we dive no, into his? Let's let's he- let's hear from Pastor Andrew. All right, let's let's get rolling here. And by the way, this is the the part that I was really interested in hearing. You, I mean, I appreciate the comments that you gave about about my talk, but I really wanted. I'm curious to see how like one a person from one religious uh, tradition would view somebody from another, because there are some differences mm-hmm. between yeah. between you and them Stark here. And so I'm curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious to hear how you uh, how you uh, approach this. So okay. here we go with Pastor Andrew. And as so part of this this whole sermon series, we've been I've been saying each week that uh, we're making the assertion that learning about science in this way is worship in itself. Yeah. Uh, and I found all of that fascinating um, and and worshipful. Um, so we're going to continue and hear some special music from our musicians before um, I have to take up the mantle and try to speak following that. So uh, it'll give me a little moment to collect myself. Um, all right, we're going to start actually with just a really quick video. Bill Nye the Science Guy. Bill Nye the Science Guy. Science rules. Bill Nye the Science Guy. Inertia is a property of matter. All right, I looked out and I saw a pretty even <laughs> mixture of smiles and confused faces. So, who recognized that video? Show of hands. Okay, less, less than 50-50. Most of you recognize it. So for any of you who didn't, that means you didn't take any science classes in the 90s or the early 2000s. That was Bill Nye, the science guy. So a very famous scientist and personality. uh, And he had videos on all sorts of different scientific topics that would often be shown in schools. So for me, anytime we had a science teacher who was on vacation or who was sick, or if it was the end of the school year and they really just needed to fill out a class session, uh, Bill Nye the Science Guy videos would come out. So when Amelia and I started talking about this Science and Faith sermon series, Bill Nye came up almost immediately. We originally thought that we would make a video of the two of us somehow in Bill Nye <laughs> style and maybe have Pastor Amelia's head kind of rotating and going, science rules. Um, but we didn't quite get there. Um, now, Bill Nye is a, an agnostic or an atheist, and he pushes pretty hard against a certain strain of Christian thought. So let me read a few quick verses from Scripture that might be familiar to many of us. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. And there is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their, their words to the end of the world. Did you ever watch Bill Nye the Science yeah, Guy I when did. you were younger? As a matter of fact, yes, I did. Huh. Yeah, I think he was a, a little bit past my time. I I, I still remember watching uh, like film strips, like fi- you know we pay, play like a cassette tape, and it would be just a strip of film, and you'd, <laughs> sh- you'd show one frame at a time. And you have to turn Ooh, it to the next frame, yeah. and oh, those were always fun. Wow. Uh, but anyway, so do you, uh, any any uh, commentary on the scripture choice there? Oh, I love it, man. I love yeah. that scripture. Yeah, that's okay. one of my favorite scriptures. Yep, love it. So, I mean, so really what he's doing is he's kind of setting the stage here, right? So he's saying that, um, you know, that the universe 
speaks to this, you know, speaks to this, uh, to God's creation and so on and so forth. And so, um, so I'm looking forward to make to making that connection there if, if he does. But um, anything else before we move on here to the next one? No, except for I wish Bill Bill Nye had stuck with doing science. He got super political um, recently, and it's like, man, he was so good doing his science. Just do it. Like it's almost like when a band gets up and gets political. It's like, dude, we came here for your music. Come on, even even conservative. Like I'm not just saying one side. Like I've been places right, where right. where they've not, tried to push a conservative message. I'm like, listen, we came here for your music. Why would you want to throw money away? Because that's what you're doing. You're turning people off. Um, mm-hmm. So just be quiet and play your songs. And I wish he had just well, m- maybe maybe this would be a a, a a subject for for a different episode. But future um, podcast. As, from what I understand, and I could be wrong here, but Bill Nye. When he started, I I agree with you that he's been more political lately, but from what I've seen, it's been in response to um, political incursion against against science. And so and so I think that's at least what started him in that direction. Mm. Um, But anyway, uh, like I said, I could be wrong about that. And so let's go on to the next part. So this scripture encapsulates the idea that I'm talking about, that, that Bill pushes back against. The heavens declare God's glory. It's this idea that the universe itself is proof of God's existence. If you read through the Bible, you'll see this idea throughout. And if you read a lot of Christian writers throughout the centuries, you'll see this idea as well. So one of the things that Bill Nye says um, is... If there is some sort of super entity, so he's talking about God here. If there is some sort of super entity running everything, why is everything so screwed up? Now that is the real question, right? So when I was thinking about this, how the universe works, um, and I actually talked about this a little bit two weeks ago when we were talking about evolution and creation. I think that faith does it wrong when we try to answer the question, how, right? How did the universe come into being? How does the universe work? Uh, Historically, uh, we haven't done a very good job at that because we use scripture as our source. And that's not the answer, or that's not the question that scripture is trying to answer. Instead, the question that scripture and faith in general seeks to answer Ooh. is why, right? Who? Why is there something <laughs> instead of nothing? Why is there a universe? Why are we here? And then along with, uh, with the problem that Bill Nye uh, points out, why is everything so screwed up, right? What is the point of it all? Okay, so I imagine you have nothing to say there, so we can just move right into the next bit here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I, uh, it was interesting. Um, he talked, uh, the argument that Bill Nye was bringing up is kind of a variation of the argument from evil, evil right? right? I mean, why, why, do, you know, why do bad things happen? Um, I've always thought that that was kind of a rather lame argument, um, personally. Well, but, you know, most, uh, know. What, most, what your, yeah, most atheists, that's their, their number one. Um, I don't know philosophical atheists, but your lay, your lay atheist, um, mm-hmm. they, that's their number one issue because it's very tangible. 
I mean, you could look around and you could see the evil. Right. I mean, it's right. like right at your doorstep, and particularly if you aren't well off or, or you know, I mean, you just see bad and evil everywhere. So, I mean, that right. makes sense that it would be it just super, super tangible. And I think that I've, I've always said that um, that the, the couple of arguments that I think are really that really have some bite for the naturalist is divine hiddenness and problem of evil. Now, of course, right. recently I've changed my mind a little bit. Of course, that's a total separate podcast there. But um, I, th- I, I think that that's a good question. I think that's like three ask. or four other podcasts there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that's a good question to ask. Now, uh-huh. I, I'm not sure if that pertains at all to um, cosmology um, I think Bill, well, I was I mean, just you know, it, making it's, a it's link related between... to the existence of a God. And so, you know, and, and I mean, it is, it is pretty, and it, you know, it's right in your face. If bad things are happening, I mean, geez, you look on the news today, California's on fire, you know, everything is, you know, especially nowadays, right? We got this 24 hour news cycle. And so we're, we're, we're instantly inundated with when, uh, when bad things happen. Mm-hmm. And so, so in many ways it, it's, it just seems like bad things are happening more so now, but, but, you know, to me, I always thought, well, that just maybe, you know, that doesn't mean that there can't be a God. It just means that, you know, God's a dick if there is one. Well, so, they say that, you know, it, there's two there's two parts to the problem of evil or two almost two arguments to the problem of evil. So the first one is the is the logical um, problem of evil, pain and suffering, where basically mm-hmm. it says that there cannot be a God because of the evil, pain and suffering. And most academic um philosophers, theologians, ethicists have abandoned that because it's just it's just too much a burden of proof for the for the atheist or agnostic. Well, yeah, it's it's really just a very a very narrow, uh, you know, version of a God. I think it it, it really only applies to, you know, just a tiny little slice in the broad spectrum of God beliefs. Right. And there's there's also that second problem, though. It's the Mm -hmm. emotional uh, argument for evil, pain, and suffering, which is much more impactful, uh, and and that basically says that because of the evil, pain, and suffering, it seems less likely that there would be a good, let alone or be be a god, let alone a good god. So that that's kind of and and that has a lot more bite, um, at least nowadays. It, it seems to have so that it, it's just a lot less probable uh, that there is a god given this evil pain and suffering. So those are the two. And I think the emotional one, this last one is, is probably um, the one that has a little bit more power. Well, you would, ex- you would expect that. I mean, emotional responses are, are much stronger than intellectual responses. Mm-hmm. And so, and so that, that's not a surprising at all. Um, but one other thing that he started talking about, and he didn't say this specifically, but have you ever heard of the phrase non-overlapping magisteria? Have you ever heard of that I phrase? Don't, I don't Non-overlapping so. magisteria. No. I believe it was uh, Stephen Gould, Stephen Jay Gould, that uh, coined that phrase or started or popularized that phrase. But it's the idea that, uh, and and Pastor Andrew, I think was was hinting at this: the idea that science, it's not just that science and faith can't mesh or that they conflict. It's that they're in totally different playing fields, right? They're, they address totally different things. It's not, it's not that they're going to run into each other. It's just that they're on totally different racetracks. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the idea of non-overlapping magisteria. I, you know, I know that you um, probably don't 
jibe with that. And and so, what what are your thoughts? No, I see what uh, I see what he's that, trying to there. I think I see what he's trying to say. Mm-hmm. And it's it's about using the correct tool for the toolbox. We've talked about this before. Um, so, with science in cosmology, asking the the questions how, and um, in religion. Um, are, are asking the questions um, who and why. So, or philosophy. You could put philosophy in that boat too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Actually, I, think, I was going to interject with that exact word right there. But I also think that um, that they, they can't be separated for this reason because I, I think it's all kind of intertwined in that um, if we're going to have a worldview that is, um, you know, that is. Um, rich and deep, you know, n- not just one inch long and, uh, or, or what's the word, like one inch long and one inch a deep. A mile wide yeah, and right. an inch deep yeah, right. or something. Like, we, you want a worldview that's all encompassing, that could right, answer right. the questions of who and the why and the how. And so I think as part of a worldview, like now, I think he's right in that uh, religion, quote unquote, doesn't really answer the question um, how. It, that that wasn't the intent, and I think he hinted on the fact too that the Bible is not a science book, right? It may have some sciencey things in there, or what maybe some people, uh, you know, say is, um, you know, science, you know, implications of science. But that wasn't the primary uh, function of uh, that, or at least it wasn't supposed to be the primary function of the Bible. So I, I mm-hmm. kind of get his point. I don't completely disagree with okay. that. Yeah, I can I can see where he's coming from. I don't know if I would agree that. Um you know, that, that how questions and who questions and even why questions are outside of the realm of science. But, um, perhaps we should, uh, you know, we should reserve that. For, we'll add that to the list. Yeah. Cause if you disagree of, with that, of, we'd have to add that to the list. <laughs> I don't okay. think that science could ever, add, uh, Boom, answer, it's a, on the list. answer, a, 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 a why question. I think that those are, those are purely in the philosophical, theological. Well, if you want to put theology in well, there, well, certainly science is is a you know is a subset of phil- philosophy, and so um, you know, so it def- there's definitely going to be some bleed from from other other areas of philosophy, and so I. I but ding, anyway, ding, ding. like we said, like we said, yeah, we we need to move on. <laughs> we need to move on here. All right, so let's go on to the next part. Good. You see, even when we're, we're talking about the universal, the universal in the biggest possible sense, the, the existence, the idea of existence itself, and the idea of a God who is in, with, and under, and beyond all of that somehow, even when we're talking about that level of universal, we can't help but bring it back to the individual, because the assertion, the assertion isn't just that there is a God, It's not just that there is a super entity. The assertion of Christianity and other world religions is that there is a God who not only created the universe, but also cares about me. That is a different sort of assertion Mm -hmm. that uh, um, unavoidably brings it from the universal to the personal. Mm. So many, many years before Bill Nye was born or before I was born, people were telling the story of a man named Job. Any of you have maybe, maybe heard the story of Job before? Long story short, Job was a really, really, really good guy. And he lived a great life and he had a great family. He was very wealthy. He was respected. He was healthy and he loved God. But then Job lost everything. 
He lost his wealth. He lost his family. He lost his health. And in the story, Job cries out to God. And Job says, I have done nothing to deserve this. So God, since you are in charge of everything, I deserve an audience. I demand to talk to you, God, so that we can hash out how unjust this is, that all of this has happened to me. And at the end of the book of Job, God actually does show up and give Job the audience, the conversation with God that he demands. So that's the first scripture that we heard this morning. God actually shows up and the Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I have to. In, I have to say that when he was saying, you know, where were you? Or it, mm-hmm. it totally reminded you of. I don't know if you if you saw any of this, but uh, do you, you know who Ken Ham is? Yeah, Ken Ham yes. from Answers in Genesis. Yeah, um, he's. Uh, he he actually famously recently had a debate with Bill Nye by coincidence, yeah. and um, you know just so many times in the in the uh, a during poor the debate representation <laughs> of Christian he, but apologetics. He has, he has his his accent. I think he's Australian yeah. or something. He said, mm-hmm. "Were you there? Were you there?" And so so I I couldn't stop picturing <laughs> that when it, when <laughs> when he, when he was, "Were you there? Were you there?" I remember so that. What debate. do you, what do you think about? Um, I wasn't exactly sure at first. Uh, the tie to uh, to oh, yeah. um, Job here, I tell to you, the, and yeah, so it's, I knew exactly where he was going with it. So, so what are your thoughts on well, that? Well, obviously, he's he's taking this to the um, little bit of the the mystery. Like, hey, listen, um, we're not God, and 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 we may not know these things. We may not ever know these things. Um, and I think the one of the things that he said though that was interesting. He said, "Are you in charge of everything?" That was kind of. Um, um, I don't want to say him reading in on the text, but are you in charge of everything? Um, mm-hmm. The idea behind God being in charge of everything or what we would say sovereign. Some people mm-hmm. think sovereign is like some kind of meticulous control over every little, every little atom and every little move that, that, that happens that um, yeah, God is in control ultimately overall, we would say, but we'd also say that God has in his sovereignty, decided and allowed for freedom of the will and and so bad things can happen and Uh so i i I don't know i guess i just don't see a connection between the beginning of the universe and and maybe he'll well maybe he'll get back into it as we listen further yeah i think the idea is that that we may not know how god did it but there is this trust that he did it in the same way, yeah. in the same way. I'm not saying you buy that. I'm just saying that's, that's the idea. In the same way, mm-hmm. um, these tragedies befell Job, and he was basically saying, why, God? I, I've served you, and this is how you treat me. And God was saying, hey, listen, 
you don't know the beginning from the end. I do. I have a big picture in mind. I could, you know, there's, you know, how many hundreds of thousands of people probably have been helped tremendously by this passage of scripture. It could be that God allowed this to befall Job. Job, one of the reasons is to allow for people to, in the future, reading this, to, um, um, to have some peace, some comfort in times of tragedy yeah. and trial. I mean, I, yeah, was, I've always I know th- you I don't always thought that. that was kind of a cop out. I mean, that that's really kind of a cop out. It's like, well, maybe who are you to question? You know, you don't know all of these things. Maybe this is really the the right way to do it. And it, you know, it's really just a it's appealing to something that we can never. We can never know. Well, and, that's, you know, like, that's no, never happened with you, Scott. Like you've 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 said about a million <laughs> times on our podcast. I don't know. We don't know. Mystery's good. It's okay to. to but when but we I, bring up I, mystery, it's bad. You can't have mystery in religion. I don't get that. Why? I don't get that. Why can we not say or point back to some mysterious things that we don't have the answers to? I don't know why God would allow that joke. I could only. I can only have my guesses or my ideas based on what I believe or who I believe God is and what I think his plan is for humanity. So why is it that I can't appeal? Why is it a cop out when we appeal to mystery? But when you appeal to mystery, it's some kind of um, 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 what's the word when you are um, uh, when you have a good quality or trait. Uh, what is it? A virtue. Virtue. Yeah. Why is it virtuous for you guys to appeal to mystery? But when we do, it's a cop out. Okay, before I answer, I want you to take a deep breath in through your nose, <laughs> out through the mouth. I'm not mad. In through the you nose, know, this is just out me. through the mouth. <laughs> the difference is I don't say you should accept this because you can't know it. That's what makes it a cop out. Oh, you don't? You, sh- you should accept this because God knows and you don't. We do that all the time, appeal to authority. I mean, we only learn or have knowledge no, based on two things, based on <laughs> personal experience or based upon right. trust in someone else who did it, right? Right, but 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 what we're doing is we're we're discussing whether or not this authority exists. And so we don't we don't say you should trust it exists because and you can't bring up those questions because you can't understand. Well, this is God that, saying that. Is that. Far, but this is that's God far saying that. That's from not, anything on it. But this is God saying that. God is saying, Job. In the story. Yeah. God is saying, Job, who are you? Uh, you know, I, right. I, I did this for, I, there's yeah. a reason for this. Right. But the, the message to the person is, is that they shouldn't, they shouldn't question no, it because they can't understand it anyway. That is not it at all. The message. That's exactly what well, it says. Okay. Well, coming from somebody who teaches and studies the Bible kind of for a living. Let me help you out here. All right. I'm, I'm not, I'm just trying to say okay, that this in is through the nose. This out through is the, mouth. the main the nose, idea of Joe through the mouth. It is. Okay. It is not about stifling. Um, don't ever, you can't, you can't do that. Don't look under there. It has nothing to do with that. It's about trust. It's about, well, listen, okay, let me ask you this. Let me ask well, you this. Let me finish my thought. Then you could ask me. It's about, it's okay. about trust. We think faith means trust. Sometimes my dad would do things that I thought were ludicrous. And I, why are you doing this? And he would say, just trust me. And I would trust him because he, I know he loves me. I know he cares for me and he has my best interest at heart. And that was the message that God was saying to Job when he was saying this. He was saying, listen, don't you trust me? I, like, I, 
there are reasons why I do these things, and you weren't there when I was when I was doing these things. I have your best interest at heart. You need to trust me. That's the the message behind Job. Not right. We need to be ignorant and just be quiet and sit in your corner and don't ask I, questions. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I said, but those are the words that are there. Who are you to question? Right. Those are the words that were there. Right. right? In context. So, so, right. So we do you think, context, do you think, though. okay, we can't just pull rip. Can I speak? Go ahead. Do you think the typical reader of the Bible will finesse the words the way that you just did? I think the typical reader of the Bible should read the Bible in context. And I think the main things are the main plain things and the plain things are the main things. God okay. is. Let's move on. <sighs> This was great. I was finally getting on a roll. All right. Okay. Then then finish your roll. No, no, no. Go on. Go on. Ding, ding. I did it to you. The ding, we've ding. Gone, we've gone down this road before. Yeah. We have. We've, we've gone, well, it we've turned gone out down to be that. a podcast before, too. So we can't say <laughs> oh, it always ends bad. All right. Go on. Go on. You're good. Okay. So this is not the greatest start to this conversation between God and Job. <laughs> Job has been saying all along that these terrible things have happened to me and I didn't deserve them. So God, tell me why. And God shows up and says, who are you to be asking me those questions? You know that I'm the one who put all of this together, right? Were you there when the universe was created? Were you there when everything was put in its place? (laughs) And God continues in a similar vein, using all of these metaphors from nature to make the point that Job has very finite knowledge whereas God has an understanding that is beyond Job's. And at the end of the book, Job basically accepts this answer from God, not because it makes him feel any better, but instead because, really, for lack of a better term, Job is put in his place. So now, would you just imagine with me for a second... Imagine with me that you are in Job's shoes. You have had tragedy strike, terrible tragedy. And in the midst of your grief, you hear a message from God, and that message says, don't worry. You are, you're too small to be able to understand this, but I am in charge of everything, and all of this fits into the plan. Honestly, how would that make you feel? This is a real question that I want responses to. All right. What's your response? He asks hesitatingly. <laughs> he asks whenever a pastor asks for an actual response from the congregation. Uh, he, he, he might be asking for some for some trouble uh, unless you're in a Pentecostal <laughs> church, which I am. And we holler at our pastor all the time. Mm. Um, I, I would say um, I, I think that's a pretty fair interpretation of of what's going on. And the idea that, you know, um, the idea of people struggling and going through trials. And if I heard an audible voice from God saying, James, hey, you know, what are you thinking? You know, I'm God. You know, I got this. Keep serving me and you know, things will work out. Like that, how comforting. But would the that words be? weren't like that now, were they? Because no, the way when, Pastor Andrew interpreted it, he said, putting him in his place. Right. But. There's a difference. And that's way different than what I was saying. But there's a difference between putting someone in their place out of anger and wrath. And there's mm-hmm. another way of putting someone in their place out of love. Let's take my father for an example. And let's say okay. as, a, as a child, 
um, I see him doing things that I just don't understand. And I keep coming up to him and going, Dad, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Don't do this. And, and he goes, just try, I got this. Go, go. I'm trying to figure this thing out. And I, I just keep coming up. And finally, he turns to me and goes, Jamie, listen, I got this. Go over and sit down. You got to trust me. This, I'm doing this for your good, for your benefit. And there's other things that you can't possibly know that I know. Mm-hmm. And it, it's out of love. It's not like a wrathful God with his, you know, throwing lightning bolts down at Job. It's one of those saying, Job, you know better. I know you're going through pain, but you know better. I'm God. I know everything. The, the beginning from the end. I know this. And I have a plan for this. Now sit down and be quiet. Let me finish what I'm doing. That was the Jamie Goodlett translation. But I see. That is kind of the overall theme of it. It's like when you read not just the book of Job, but when you read commentaries on Job, that's the underlying theme in all these commentaries is the idea of a a father who is telling his son, stop it. I, I, I have this worked out and I have other things in mind as well that you can't possibly know. So trust me, it's a father asking his son, for trust. And I, I don't think that the pastor's interpretation of that, I, didn't, I don't think it was bad. I don't think it was wrong either. Mm-hmm. You just have to take it all in context. I know you probably think I'm squ- trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Well, no, I mean, you're base. I, I, I basically agree with what you just said. What you just said was pretty much what I, what I was saying before and that you got all upset about, but um, well, I that's think, okay. I think maybe I, I, you I'm were happy with that. I think maybe you were, the idea, though, at least it, it seemed to me, the idea was was more like a wrathful, vengeful God. Like, listen here, you little peon human. And and when we read the Bible, and particularly, no, that, I didn't say that. I yeah. know, I know you I didn't. didn't. That's that's, and maybe I was reading into it because you're an atheist. I, I so that could very easily be my fault that I'm assuming the, certain or or laying certain qualities upon or interpretations upon what you're saying that mm-hmm. uh, that you didn't mean. So I, I wasn't trying to like misrepresent that. I was just saying that often that's what we see. And yeah, the idea was you shouldn't question it. You should just accept it and trust that it's happening for your better, you know, for your best interest. I don't ever think it's wrong to question um, things. Right. But that's that is specifically what is mentioned in this in this passage but, is to not ask questions. Uh, no, it's not. It's it's to trust well, it's right there in the text. It's to trust. But we interpret scripture with scripture. And when you look through the Bible, all through the Bible, you see people asking questions, wondering, especially when when we see um, stories of Jesus, people come and ask questions. And, of course, Jesus knows the heart of these people. And if they're, they're coming with the right attitude and the right heart, we don't ever see him say, you shouldn't be asking these questions. I think that God gave the appropriate response to Job in the situation. And you see that Job was somewhat satisfied with that. If you go on and finish reading. <laughs> the- who, who wrote the story? Of course. Of course it's going to have a happy ending. Well, They're not, they're not going to get to the end of the story and say, Job was like, well, Fuck you, God, and actually, I'm out of here, and and I'm going. I'm switching teams, and, and actually, you're you're <laughs> wrong. All through the Bible, there are embarrassing things. It's called the the criteria of embarrassment. One of the things historians use to determine 
how plausible something in the past is is based upon the criterion of embarrassment. If somebody, if somebody's making something up, they typically don't put something in there that would be embarrassing. We constantly see things in the Bible that seem embarrassing to Christian. When Peter denied Jesus, this is Peter, the rock, Jesus called him. He denied him three times. We see all kinds of stories in the Bible that are embarrassing to Christians that end up bad, that that just were horrible endings. Uh, so that's not true. That, that all these stories have happy endings. So you go through and you read the stories in the Bible. Many of them are horrible endings and are extremely embarrassing if you're a Christian. But I think that lends credibility to the Bible. Which would be a happy ending. Ultimately, you, but the, right? the story. Oh, okay. We're talking about the story. I, I right? guess those other people should not question them because they don't know as well as you. No, we're, what do you mean? The other people shouldn't question no. what? Well, those other people who who think the story has it doesn't have a happy ending, right? Because you know better that it does have a happy ending. What? So they the, shouldn't question the book of Job. Never mind. We're getting way off track oh, okay. here. We're getting way off track. Okay, that's fine. I I yield the rest of my time on that point. Petty and small. Kind of ticked off. Thank you, Larry. <laughs> Anybody else? Stifled. Yeah. This is, this is not going to make us feel great, right? I mean, this is not a satisfactory answer. Okay. I want us to have a little bit of a different experience. Would you all close your eyes with me? I want you to imagine... So imagine with me that you are all alone and you're lying on a beach. It's the middle of the night. The sand that you're lying on, it's warm and it's comfortable. In front of you, you can hear the waves of the ocean coming in and lapping against the shore. And behind you, past the edge of the sand, is a forest and you can hear the wind rustling through the leaves in the trees. And as you're lying on this beach and you're hearing these sounds of nature and the natural world, you're also looking up into the night sky and you see a multitude of stars. There's no light pollution at this beach. Instead, you see constellations, you see planets, you see the Milky Way, you see the moon shining brightly off to your right. You look up into the night sky and you see the universe. Now I want you just to keep your eyes closed and just sit in this experience for a moment, lying on a beach, hearing those sounds and looking up into the night sky. Okay, as you're ready, you can open your eyes and come back into this room. Now, again, looking for responses. How did that experience make you feel? What was the feeling of that? Well, I don't know about that, but I think Pastor Andrew has a future yes, in creating in content for meditation right? apps. <laughs> that was really well done. I can well just picture done. somebody trying to doze off. Right, just picture yeah. 
for a minute, no, I was I left the beach and I was like on a massage table, you know, like uh, <laughs> I, it's all quiet and the the the, the you know, lights are down and no, he did a really right, nice right. job of uh, of of laying that out. All right, well, let's see, let's see what they have to say. Peaceful, comfort, small. small. Something that I felt was maybe connected. So when God talked to Job, he talked to Job through metaphors of the universal, through metaphors of the universe. And we all kind of agreed that if we're sitting in our grief, that message that your problems are minuscule because in the grand scheme of the universe, you are minuscule, that's not super helpful. But just in this short experience that we had, this experience of actually experiencing the universal in some small sense, that is helpful. Sitting alone on a beach and staring into the massive abyss of the night sky, that can be helpful. Now, why would that be? Why would one be helpful and the other not? These, these things are both things that invite us into contemplation of the universe and our place in it but provoke very different reactions. So the one, the one forces the universe on us and the other invites us into contemplation of the universe. So I believe, I believe that when we are invited into that sort of experience, that experience of knowing at a deep level how we are a small part of something much, much bigger, when we're invited into that, it can invite us into the bold and the audacious hope that is the message of Christianity. The hope that seeks to answer the question, what is the point of everything? All right. Thoughts on that? Um, yeah, like my take on on the passage of Job is very different um, in some aspects. Um, like you had asked, what, what would my thoughts be if God audibly spoke to me and basically said the same thing to me that he did to Job. I mean, I could see where some people would be angry at that. But for me, I, I, and of course, you won't ever know until you're in that spot, right? I mean, we can't ever say for sure. But I, I think I, I would feel a sense of comfort in some respect, knowing that, um, okay, well, it's not all for naught. I, I think in uh, under naturalism that it would be just some brute facts that certain things happen to us and sometimes it's going to be bad and that's that's all there is to it but with god it, it seems to be that there's also some hope in our tragedy that that hope has some other intentions and has some i mean ultimately it says that uh, god works out all things for good for those that love him and are called to his purposes so doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to turn out for good for me people wrongly interpret that it doesn't mean that all things are going to end up good for me because I'm a Christian. It means that all situations that happen, ultimately, in some shape or fashion or form, God will work out for good for those who love him. So, it, again, it might not be for me. So I think I would take more comfort. But you're in not that. in that group? What's that? Are you in that group? You said it might not work out for me, but it'll work out for people that love no, God. No, like, so let's say I go through, like, some horrible tragedy, right? Um like uh -huh. that tragedy that I went through will ultimately work out for good. I, I, it still may be horrible for me, 
But let's just say that I, I relapse and I have a drug overdose. It's a horrible thought. Maybe that should hit so the cutting a, room floor. That's, that's okay. horrible. But let's say I die. Hor- of a, that's horrible for me. Well, at least in some regards. Uh, if Christianity is true, then I'm in the most greatest conceivable place. Regardless, if I die of an overdose, relapse, die of an overdose, um, that would be, in some respects, horrible. But if one person at my funeral comes to Christ, that's in- infinite gain for that person. And that would be a tragedy of mine that didn't work out for me that did work out for good because someone else will, um, will have benefited from that and in an infinite sense, so to speak, infinite in terms of quality. So, so you're suggesting the idea is that it's a comforting thought that, you know, things are going to work out. That there's a purpose for everything, even okay. if it's bad. Um, right. So then, yeah, so we're so there. We're talking about uh, an emotional response. Then, you know that that's uh, you know that comfort level, that uh, satisfaction, that that uh, you know that deep sense of belonging and and trust that you were talking about. These are all emotions mm-hmm. that we're talking about, yep. right? These are all emotional responses, and so we know that as as human animals, that we have a very strong desire for that emotional. Uh, comfort, right? So we, and, and, you know, we can come up with example after example after example of people actually doing things that are to their own detriment because it feels good because mm-hmm. they, they like it. For example, you know, you brought up drug users. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so the heroin user, that's the best thing that he could do is take another shot, right? Mm-hmm. Then, then he'll feel awesome, right? But we know from, from our perspective that that's a destructive, uh, that that's a destructive behavior. So clearly while the emotion gives you the, the, the comfort and the short-term payoff, it's not necessarily tied to reality, which is, which is a separate issue. And so, so that's when I say that's a cop-out, um, you know, these all kind of boil together the, you know, the don't question, trust that somebody who knows better is behind the wheel. Don't, you know, don't worry about it because everything's going to turn out. Okay. Don't, don't get upset about this restriction that I'm putting on you because it's going to help you because of this, this, and this, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. It's that's, so that's the hollowness there that I see. It's the, 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 because those two things are not necessarily related and maybe even, you know, not even often related. And so, you know, it it seems to me, uh, you know, I can, I can see where he's going. I can see where he's taking it. And, and so, you know, part of his job is to connect with his congregation. Part of his job is to uh, bring hope to these people. Um, I I don't, I don't know. I I just, well, see, I mean, I think I would talk, telling, telling somebody that they should be comfortable and that they should accept it and that they should just go with the flow kind of thing. Well, isn't always, is, is not necessarily related to what really is well, the best and sometimes can be very destructive. And sometimes chasing that feeling can be, you know, can lead you to folly. That's true. Although um, we would say that that emotion isn't necessarily just raw emotion. So when, when my dad tells me, Hey, be quiet. I got this. I love you. It's under control. Um, that trust I have in my father and that comfort I feel in that moment isn't baseless. It's not hollow. It, it, for, for me, it's based on a relationship right. that I've had with yeah. him. And, and, and that he would has, be the difference here. And he has, that would be the difference. Well, but um, in my experience, 
I feel like I do know God. I feel like I have experienced God. I feel like um, that th- in, in the same way, like God to me is as real as my own father. That may sound insane to people, but just because I can't physically touch God doesn't mean I haven't had some kind of connection with him. Now, listen, I have on purpose stayed away from these abstract kind of personal feelings, because obviously we're doing a show or a podcast mm-hmm. about um, primarily, you know, um, science and God and 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 how can we show evidence for God if we can. And so we're, we're talking more in our podcast about the tangible things, about the evidentiary things that are um, objectively real, so to speak, that you can touch and feel. And so I've stayed away from that kind of the emotional side uh, on purpose. But I will say that, that there is a sense that, that I have um, met God in, in my time reading the Bible, in my time praying to him. And I know this may sound like totally crazy to some people, but there, there is this sense that, you know, someone asked me, well, what would it take for you not to believe? You know, and I've given some kind of substantial, okay, if you could show me an inconsistency, inconsistency in the coherence of God, or if you could show me more than likely than not, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, things like that. But there's also a part of me that says, boy, how, how could you convince me that my father didn't exist? Mm-hmm. Because as much of a connection as I've had with my father, I feel like I've had that with God. Right, but but there's there's a flip side to that, right? You say just because you haven't physically uh, can't physically touch him doesn't mean you don't have a relationship. But the flip side of that is just because you feel like you have a mm-hmm. relationship with something doesn't mean that you do. You're right, right, and so that's so that's why, what we're that's why I never present that as evidence, or very rarely, because it is subjective. It is my right, and that, experience. But that's, but that's what we're talking here. So we're talking about uh, trying to. I mean, keep in mind our 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 context here is we're trying to explain, we're trying to explain, we're trying to investigate, we're trying to learn about real things about the universe. And so, you know, stories that are, have a hap, you know, that have morals and that have action and that have, you know, love and, and redemption and, and those kind of stories are great and they make you feel good and they can motivate you to do things and so on. They may or may not, that doesn't mean that they're tied to anything that's real though, other than the emotional response that they evoke. Well, and that's I guess, what I'm saying I guess here. unless, I mean, if that was the only thing I had, Right. Like, so if, if I felt like, um, you know, if I took faith on kind of like the general kind of what I think is a bad definition of faith, like just trusting it, even if you don't believe or, you know, kind of, well, it's just a different definition. It's not necessarily better or worse. It's just that it's just a different definition that some people use in some circumstances. Yeah. Uh, uh, the biblical definition of faith, however, is trust. And it's so if, if I were to take it, on this kind of blind faith, only my experience type of thing, then yes. Mm-hmm. But if I also not just base my belief um, upon that experience, but also upon other things, mm-hmm. then to me that seems to give more credence to my experience. So if if I have this experience, I, I would with agree God, that it does seem to do that. If I have this experience with God, and then I also. S- 
think that there are certain things in nature or in science that that match my understanding, then mm-hmm. then that 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 seems to me that it it isn't hollow anymore because I'm not just basing um, my my belief or my comfort or or any of these emotions just purely based on my emotions, but also based mm-hmm. upon past experience, also based upon um, what I think I see in nature and in science. And mm-hmm. obviously that's my interpretation, right? So you and I of could course. see the same thing and we totally disagree on, on, um, on certain things about it. But mm-hmm. I, I would say that as a Christian, that the experience is, 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 isn't, for me, isn't just blind. I just don't find comfort in the fact that I feel like God's talking to me. But mm-hmm. I have comfort because I believe in God. And right. now that I believe in God and I feel like he's talking to me. So it's not just that e- emotional experience. It's the fact that I feel like there's ev- other evidence to support the fact that there is a God, which then supports the idea of these emotions I'm having lining up with reality. Does that make sense? Uh, I understand what you mean, if that's what you meant. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant, because I know you disagree with me. Okay. But that, that's what I meant. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and, and that, would be, that, that would be a natural result of that type of feeling, is that, you, you, you know, that's what, that's what I'm talking about when I say you feel like, some, you know, you, you have these emotional responses, and so then things start to click a certain way, and so then you start to feel a certain way, you start to act a certain way, you start to think a certain way, et cetera. But we need to move on here. We got we still got a couple more pieces to go, okay. and then we also have to talk about the Q and A. And so that question: What is the point of everything? The beginning of that question first is what I said earlier: Why is there something instead of nothing? If God exists, if God is creator, why did God create? Why would God create? And I don't have a perfect answer to this or claim to know the answer, but the metaphor that I can make sense of is to think about God as parent and then think about myself as parent. So when Amelia and I decided that we wanted to create new life, we wanted to bring new life into this world and create something new in that way, why did we do that? Why did we want to create Gwendolyn? It wasn't because we had any grand plan for her life. It wasn't because we wanted to have a child so that that they would do this or become this. It wasn't because we wanted her to make us better somehow. It wasn't because we uh, we somehow needed her or were incomplete without her. Instead, we wanted to create new life We wanted to create a child for the sake of that child. Mm. We wanted Gwendolyn to exist for the sake of Gwendolyn. She was the end in herself. She was the goal in herself. We wanted her to exist for the sheer goodness inherent in her existence. That's the only metaphor that I can make sense of when I think of God as creator. Why did God create all of this? Why, Why spring the universe into existence? What was the goal or the end of it all? I wonder if the only goal was the universe itself for the sheer goodness inherent in its existence. That other scripture that we heard read from the beginning of the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
all things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So that is, that is the hope of the Christian message. What is the point of everything? The hope is that God created, that God created everything we see around us. God created the universe, and that in that creation there is life and there is light. In that creation, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Okay, so there he's saying basically that you know if we address this question of why did the you know why did why is the universe here why are we here the big question right that's mm-hmm. the big one yeah, why right, are we here right and so he's saying um, you know using the analogy of their daughter um, he's saying you know that they that they decided they wanted to have this baby for the sake of the baby right and so he's he's suggesting the same thing to the universe he's saying well why did why did God make the universes because of the because the universe itself is, I don't know, a good thing or is, is something we're, and I, and I, I, again, I can see the emotional appeal to that. Uh, Yeah. It it would mean that there is some kind of inherent It would suggest that there's some kind of inherent worth in the universe. There's some kind of inherent worth in their daughter. There's some kind of an inherent worth in us as individuals. And, and that's fine. You know, and that's a, you know, I, you know, if somebody wants to, wants to think that that's fine. Although I, I, I have nothing against that other than the fact that it doesn't really answer the question. Why is then there it something just, rather just, than nothing? It just, it just pushes the question down on, and well, why is, why is this valuable then? Why, why, you know, we can, we can see that firsthand when we're talking about a baby, you know, we get enjoyment when we, when we raise a child, we get fulfillment, you know, emotional fulfillment when we, when we have a family, um, you know, in many cases we can survive, you know, better if we have, you know, if there's seven of us instead of two of us, you know, things like that. And so, and so, you know, it's, it, it's, um, and, and I, I understand the analogy he's trying to make and I agree with, uh, his, his motivation there. I don't know if it's a very satisfactory answer as to why, you know, cause then it, cause like you, like you like to say, then it just kicks the can down the road, mm-hmm. right? Then instead of saying, why do we make the universe? It says, well, why do we value this type of universe and so on? So what, what do you uh, have to, well, I mean, have to add I think to that? ultimately naturalism, um, is an unsatisfactory will never be satisfactory because ultimately why is the universe here? It just is. And even if we find out, you know, maybe how it happened or how many universes there are or, or the mechanism by which it's always going to be just because there can never be. Right. Of course. Right? Of course, that has n- that has no reflection whatsoever on the truth or falsity, right. of it, though, and which neither, is what we're discussing. Right, here. And neither does just because my worldview brings me hope doesn't make it any less true or false. It just happens to be. It, hey, it just happens to work out that way. I'm grateful that it does, but I'm not a Christian because it gives me hope. I'm not a Christian right. because I have like some emotional, like I, you know, I'm a Christian because I think it's true. And then it just so happens to have these other benefits that work out great. I mean, it's not my fault that my worldview works out good for me. I mean, I could be living in a fantasy world, in which case I still had an incredible life. I wouldn't change a thing. But I, I don't, my, my thing is, is right. So if naturalism is true, the idea that, um, or, or we don't know if naturalism is true, but like the idea that 
you know, we'll never have a satisfactory reason for us being here. It just is. And that does not lend truth or falsity to that. I agree. In the same way, just because my worldview might have some benefits to it doesn't mean that um, either... Uh, you know, I'm in it because of that, or that that is somehow kind of false hope. Um, because if Christianity is true, it's not false hope. So I'm not saying that because of these experiences or because of these benefits that Christianity is true. And I don't think he's saying that either. I mean, I think these are side benefits to our worldview. So you agree with me. That was kind of the long way around saying that you agree with me. Well, yeah, I mean, right? I'm not, because I, 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 okay. at least from what I understand is, and correct me if I'm wrong, it just seemed as if you were saying like, um, like it was somehow a detriment to us that, um, that we can have hope in these kind of things, not from a pragmatic no. sense, but from a, from a true or false sense, like who cares if, if it brings hope, like I agree with you. Like I'm not saying that lends to the truthfulness of it. Uh, I'm saying it just works out good for us that way. If, if that's, and even if it's not the case, I think it obviously, no, that, that's well. not what I said. What I said was, I think saying that creating the universe for the reason of having the universe is not a satisfactory answer as to why to create the universe. Well, I, 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 but I disagree with him on that. I think that God, in the greatest act of generosity, created humankind solely because he knew that we would be infinitely, qualitatively, infinitely greater off having a relationship with him than not existing at all. It would be almost like if I owned the whole world and this is such a, on a small scale, but it's like if I owned the whole world and Chris and I decided to have a child in, in, in to share in this, like, like he did it for our benefit. Like he created humans because he, he knew that we could have this infinite experience with him that would be infinitely greater than non-existence. And so I think it was a, an act of mercy and love to create. And I don't think, I think the universe is part of it, but I think the universe, I'm one of those people that think the universe revolves around humanity. I, I think that God created the universe to facilitate um, um, moral, agents, creatures that, that he can have a relationship with. And so I slightly disagree with him on his assessment of, um, you know, why God created, I think God created for our benefit. I, I, so you agree with me that his answer was unsatisfactory. I think that I'm going to revoke my, my apology at the beginning of the speech saying that I'm going to go along, but I want to thank uh, I want to thank you for proving that I was right that uh, pastors can also <laughs> sometimes oh. <laughs> go over time on their on their speaking. All right, so let we got one last little bit here. Yeah. 
Now, this still is not a perfect answer to Job. Right? Terrible things happen to Job. And if I, if I say to Job, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it, Job says to me, it sure feels like the darkness has overcome it. But the hope that we're talking about isn't proof. It's not something that we can put into a formula to smooth out all of the difficulties of life. It's not something we can apply to every situation and say, there, feel better now. Instead, it's an audacious hope. It's the hope that the light shines in the darkness. It's the hope that says, what if? What if? What if there is a reason that there is something instead of nothing? What if there is a pattern behind the inner workings of the universe? What if everything and everyone is infused with divine love and thus with divine purpose? What if even the evil we see around us can be worked for good? What if things really do work together for good? What if resurrection really is possible? What if everything we see around us is nothing but resurrection, the continual death and rebirth of all things in the universe as matter is neither created nor destroyed? What if? So, to close this morning, I'm not offering any proof. I don't have any proof. I don't have any proof of how things exactly work. But I invite us into contemplation and meditation on what if. I invite us to be in awe of the beauty and the intricacy of how the universe works and the science that people have uncovered about how it works together. I invite us to find some time to sit and look at the stars to be invited into an experience of the universal, to let an understanding of our place in that universal sink into us, and to open ourselves to the possibility of divine love infusing that universe and infusing us. Amen. All right, there's one thing that I really liked about the way that Pastor Andrew finished up. And I probably and, and this didn't was, like it. <laughs> but go on. Well, you this, this, this was totally unplanned, okay? We did not coordinate at all. But basically, and in, not, uh, uh, not you know exactly word for word, but he was saying very much like what Mary Curie, the quote that I had at then, nothing in life is to be feared. It's only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. He's talking about exploring. He's talking about looking. He's talking about uh, curiosity. He's talking about adventure. Mm-hmm. He's so, and, so, and so even though clearly we disagree on some of the nuts and bolts, I, mm-hmm. do, uh, I do like, and I, and I felt like that not only uh, in his talk here, but in the, the, you know, we've mentioned this earlier, in the theme of the whole series that they had, was about that yeah. was focused on on just being being open and learning and 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 moving forward yeah. and and so uh i did i do think that was a like i said i you know obviously we disagreed on some of the points uh throughout the middle but i i like the way he wrapped it up at the end there
Yeah, I thought it was nice. As as someone who's Pentecostal, I would have tried to bring it back to Jesus. But that's the uh, that's the that's the uh, pastor in me. And, and damn heretic, jeez. <laughs> uh, I thought he did a good job. I I, I think okay. that he did a good job, particularly when, again, it's often we're accused of of trying to bring religion in. Um, and somehow shove it in the place of science or something like that. And I think that he was careful not to do that. And I think that just because there are certain tools for the job or certain places or certain things that answer questions best isn't at the exclusion or the sacrifice of another. And I, I think that for us, for, for me as someone who's religious, I, I think that the worldview is all-encompassing. In that there's, um, it, it, we can't just look at it in terms of, um, in terms of a piece of paper, but more like a diamond. It's multifaceted, multi-orbed, and that there's um, certain aspects. There's science. There's ethics. Um, you know, there's um, all kinds of aspects to a worldview that can coincide. And I, th- I think he did a pretty good job overall. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll agree with what you just said. Although I'm not sure "multi-orbed" is a word, but we'll we'll roll with it, right? We can. Uh, we're blazing uh, new trails here. It is a word. I promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, I'll I'll take your word on that. Okay. So uh, we we can briefly talk about the Q and A because, um, uh, well, there's some good news and bad news here. The bad news is that um, it well they recorded it separately and they don't have the audio for it. And so we'll be going, I, it, that to me, unfortunately it was, it was the funnest part of the, of the day. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, that's the breaks, right? That that's the way it goes. We deal with, uh, you know, with what we got. And so, um, so if, from what I, so basically the way it was is that, uh, pastor Andrew and I sat in the front of the, of the sanctuary and then we were just, you know, We'll open up questions. You know, anybody can ask either one of us anything. Some of them ask both of us questions. I do remember two of the questions, mm-hmm. and we can we can address whichever one you prefer first. Um, I know we've been going on a long time here, so we, we got to kind of wrap things up. If they don't want to listen, they can shut it off. <laughs> or we could cut a they lot should out. just <laughs> right. they should sit back and take it they don't make the podcast that's right. where were they where were, where they, were they when we when made we... this podcast that's right right exactly <laughs> that's what we're trying to say here oh, beautiful. um no so there was there's two questions that i i remember one of them was about the afterlife mm-hmm. and one of them was about ufos oh, let's take them in turn then Okay, so the after I can't remember exactly what the afterlife one, uh, what exactly what the question was. I think they were, they were just uh, asking me just in general about you know what are my thoughts about the afterlife mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, which I probably don't. Um, but damn it, it's our show, and that's what I'm going to answer. So, <laughs> um, so I I I do remember some of what I said, and that was I you know. It, my personal view of the quote unquote afterlife obviously is that we don't have an afterlife, but, but I can still, uh, you know, so the way I view my, my, uh, my contribution to the world, I, I look at my kids, you know, and, and I look at, so I'm having an impact on them. And so they're going to, mm-hmm. so part of me is with them kind of, uh, both well, genetically and philosophically, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, in, in many different ways. And so so a lot of what I do is going to continue on after I die. Um, and I also I also brought up uh, the idea that, well, 
you know, in many ways, my, like my grandparents are still, are still here because, you know, they had a strong impact on me. I spent, you know, parts, various parts of my young childhood, uh, living with different grandparents for, uh, uh, for a while. Um, you know, when I was very, very young, my dad was in Vietnam war and my mom was in nursing school. So I lived with my grandparents. Mm -hmm. And so obviously they had a very strong, uh, impact on much of my early life. Um, and so, you know, and I can still picture, I can still close my eyes and see them anytime I want. And so that's kind of the things that I talked about is, is, um, you know, the atheist perspective, or at least this atheist's perspective on the afterlife is, is that I, I do see, uh, I do feel, uh, part of something bigger. I'm, I'm part of humanity and I'm having impacting humanity. There's ripple effects, you know, um, have you heard of the phrase? And maybe you told me this, uh, it, it sounds like something that you would say is like, I might not be able to uh, affect a thousand people, but I might be able to affect the person who then goes on yeah. to have yeah. in, affect a thousand yeah. people. We see you know, that, that kind of thing. We see that all the time. Like there was a meme that had a picture of like, do you know this guy? And you're like, no. And they're like, do you know this guy? No. Do you know this guy? And there's like four or five guys. And then there's Billy Graham. And they uh-huh. say this guy, this first guy led this guy to the Lord who led this guy to the Lord on down the line to Billy Graham. So you may not have affected as many people as Billy Graham did, but you affected Billy Graham. You know, so there's ultimately right. you have uh, um, some yeah. some really yeah. pull, some big pull. So that's so that's kind of that's the way, I, you know, the way I summed it up. I mean, that you know, I, you know, mm-hmm. that was yeah. it. I, I can't remember if uh, uh, Pastor Andrew added anything. He probably said um, something like, yeah, there's an afterlife and we have good reason to believe so. We have a lot of a- a- after uh, near-death experiences that are uh, veridical <laughs> and demonstrable. <laughs> no, I'm right, yeah, that's, I'm sure that's, that's exactly, exactly what I said or what he said. Uh, speaking of which, should we go right into the UFO yeah, talk then? Or? Right. right. <laughs> okay. Oh. So, so th- actually, this one w- wasn't so much about religion, obviously. And so uh, I think it was just... I, I, I think it was a it was a, a gentleman who was asking me this question and it was more of just him sharing an experience and it was it was very interesting. Um and I got the impression that this was something that he likes to talk about, talk to people about. Yeah. And so I think I think he saw me there and he was like, wait a minute, there's somebody who's not like people that I know. Let's, you know, right. I want to get his I want to get his and so he described this. Uh, experience that he had had about when he was on a camping trip. And, uh, and again, I'm probably messing up the details, but you know, the general gist is there and he, like a, a saucer landed or something and a door opened. And, and I, I can't remember if he went in or if, it, if beings came out or something and he just wanted to know what my thoughts were. And, and again, this is a, this is also a delicate situation. Sure is, um, man. I'm glad I was in the hot seat there. Buddy. <laughs> Yeah, so so I don't I don't want to, I mean obviously, I don't think aliens. I, well, I have no reason to think aliens have come to to visit to visit the Earth. I, I I don't say for sure that I I think that they haven't, but you know it it seems pretty unlikely that uh, that that would have been the case uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, but I I just told him you know. You know, it's tough for me to judge. I just don't have enough information. I would have had to, you know, I don't, I, I can't put myself in your shoes. You know, that's to, you know, pardon the pun, but that, that experience is just so alien to me that I, I can't, 
you know, I can't put myself in that perspective. And so it's very different. And I, I don't know if he was very satisfied with my answer, but, and I know that you hate it when I say this kind of thing, but I just told him, you know, you know, I just don't know, you know, I can't right. say, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say more than what I'm confident about, but, I, but I will say that, you know, it, I did say that, um, I, I thought it would be, a, it would, to me, that would be a fascinating experience. Um, and it, and it would give me, you know, it would motivate me to investigate. It would motivate me to learn more about, you know, that's interesting reports and so on. If, and so it's interesting that it, I don't know that if you had that experience, that that there's like a twinge of belief or possibility. I would say I would describe it more as curiosity and adventure, uh, like we've been like we've been talking about before. Okay. And um, but you you were going to contrast it to my my religious. Uh, beliefs, but I think that the fact, you know, just the fact that we're talking about this right now, I think that goes to show that both of us are mm. have 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 some motivation to explore those things that we that we don't happen to believe are true, but we're, you know, we know that people have these experiences and that people believe these things for various reasons, and and so I think that's mm. that's worth exploring. I think um, I ca- I can see why why you would see that there was a contrast there, but I also see that there's a um, a handy comparison. And, um, uh, I do give this, uh, gentleman props for having the guts to, I'm, I'm sure he's been, Crucified. you know, sneered at yeah, and ridiculed no, no at. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, and I imagine I, that maybe the people in the church are kind of tired of hearing it. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I, I don't know if that's the case, but oh, Bob's but, talking um, about his I, alien experience again. Right. Uh, uh, I I wish that I could have seen a video of of the audience because when when he was telling me the story, I I didn't really know how it was going to end. You know, I didn't really, and so I I I wish I would have paid more attention to the reaction of the people around right. him. Like, was somebody trying to pull him to sit down? No, right, Grandpa, you're making don't us talk, look you know. stupid, Gramps. Right. Although, but um, I'll finish your thought, and then I'll I'll say a little something. Well, I was just going to say, I, you know, to uh, I did when he when he when he asked that, you know, all of that ran through my mind, and I said, no, here's an opportunity for for us to demonstrate this, for us to not, uh, you know, part of what part of what you and I like to do is, is that we we want to keep it civil, right? Yeah. We want to uh, we don't. Um, yeah, we kind of poke fun at each other, but we're friends. <laughs> right, and so, we can do that. you know, that's, you know, that's what it's we do allowed. with, when, with right. your, when you're with friends, but you know, and so here's a, here's a good, uh, opportunity for me to, uh, to, uh, model the kind of behavior, you know, put my money where my mouth is right. basically. And so, um, you know, so I, I, I did give some thought to his question and, but like I said, I don't think he was very satisfied with my answer, but you know, that was all I could say. And I, and again, I, I, I can't remember. I think at this point, I don't know if I was nervous, um, but I, you know, I, I don't, I don't remember a lot of like what uh, Pastor Andrew that's said. That's unorthodox too. That kind of question is kind of out of left field. So not only is it, I, I certainly wasn't expecting yeah, it. Not only is it like, a, you know, you want to be careful answering it, but like you wouldn't even thought that that had been on the on the table to begin with. So it right. would have, and there the, may have been times in the past where that would have got him the noose. If he brought that right, up, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. there's, there are days not that long ago where that kind of thing was, mm-hmm. you know, seen as Satan and, you know, devil worship and right. stuff like that. Black magic. Yeah. Now I know you don't, I know you don't think this, but I think that one of the handy things about 
um, or one of the pragmatic things about the Christian worldview is I think we do have an answer for UFOs. I think that UFOs are a demonic activity. And so um, I think that a lot of the UFO sightings are just um, natural phenomenon that people misinterpret, right? So, but I think there are other instances that, um, that are, in fact, demonic activity. And so for us, at least, I think we have a, um, a decent answer for that of, of how could this be. Because, like you, I don't well, think that you, there you, could be. You, de- you definitely have some words that can be said in response to that question. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't think that. I think you and I both agree that. Um, I think it would be difficult, um, or not as not very plausible, to have actually had life forms from other planets here. I think that the science doesn't support it in terms of the distances, right, and locations and how f- fast we travel and how old the universe time, is. Yeah, and I, I think I think they've worked out some of that to the idea of, boy, if they are out there, they may not have even been able to communicate with us because you can't move faster than the speed of light, things like that. And right. there's some other things around that. So I think you and I are both in agreement that even if they're there, we probably haven't experienced them. That's true. All right. So last words. No, it was great. I want to I want to give a thank you to pastors Amelia and Andrew for inviting me and uh, and to the whole congregation at uh, Common Ground United Methodist Church in Cambridge. Uh, they were like I said, they were very welcoming and uh, they even gave me a couple of Common Ground coffee mugs Ooh, to take home nice. uh, as, as a remembrance of the. In remembrance of these things that they did for that me. That must be a universal, as we have these coffee cups, too. We give to new people, like when they come, a coffee cup. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, that way, you know, everybody I, drinks Scott. Well, not everybody, obviously. I tried to obviously, talk them into giving, many put like do. a 15 or $20 Starbucks gift card in each one. That, that uh, got voted I thought you, I thought you were going to say you tried to talk them into making shot glasses. Oh, no, 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 no. The shot glasses would have been a for sure no. The the uh, Starbucks that got voted no down to. So okay, can't uh, well. win them all. Right. Okay. Well, that was Scott. Scott goes, goes to, church. to church. And I just want to give a special shout out and thank you to the folks at. Uh, Common Ground United Methodist Church in Cambridge, Minnesota, especially for pastors Andrew and Amelia for their uh, their open mindedness and their uh, open arms and welcoming me. And, and it was just a great experience all around. And and I would definitely do it again and highly recommend it for anybody who's maybe considering it. That's uh, that was pretty cool. And the church didn't go up in flames and you are still yep. alive. And so, yep. No, nope, there was no uh, no fire well. brimstone, no no chickens were slaughtered in the making of that bit, and <laughs> yeah, so everything was okay, and and uh, yep, so I was not, uh, you know, I didn't break burst into flames when I walked into the church, so yeah, so this was one so, of my favorite uh, episodes. Good. I don't know if it was because we didn't argue <laughs> as much, I don't know, but I I, I enjoyed uh, listening to that and and talking yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. All right. So speaking of that, uh, I know we our next little bit here. Uh, let's go to the instant replay. Has to do with uh, some some thought 
processing on you. And I just mm-hmm. love watching and listening to this kind of thing in myself and in others. So please tell us uh, what we're going to be listening yeah. to here. So this um, this little bit we have, I'm not sure if we had it before. It's called the Instant Replay. And uh, basically what we do is is that, that we've stumbled upon something or found something more um, that we want to kind of incorporate with an already recorded episode, maybe something that right. we've already covered, but uh, you know, maybe we found some more data or maybe we've drawn a different conclusion and we just kind of want to go back without further ado. Uh, let's dive into Jamie's epiphany in the instant replay. Let's go to the instant replay. I'm going to be talking a little bit about uh, an epiphany that I had, and this was kind of a a light bulb that came on for me. Light uh, bulb. Don't worry. Either side. Don't don't get your underwear in a bunch. No, none of my views have really changed. But, but <laughs> we're we're not changing the podcast to not or, or not. not. Right? Yes. <laughs> uh, but um, but it was it was cool how this kind of came about. So I do a lot of commuting to my job up in Cleveland. And so I listen to a lot of stuff and I try to, a lot of times if I'm listening to a podcast, I'll do double speed so I can get through more. I listen to uh-huh. a lot of books on audio and things like that. And I, I, I've been and sometimes topics will come up that you and I have already hashed through. Um, and right. uh, one of which was uh, morality. I was listening to like a YouTube video on objective uh, morality specifically mm-hmm. um, I was listening to kind of two one on the way down and one on the way back and the light bulb kind of went on for me when when you and I were talking about objective uh, morality um, you were arguing for this uh, objective uh, standard and you were like you were pretty um, firm on yes you have an objective standard and I just couldn't for the life of me see why that was the case and then the light bulb went on and i realized okay. that what was happening at least from my perspective was i was looking at the objective morality for more of a meta kind of a meta narrative like i was taking a a, a bigger more um a, a, like almost like a survey or a, a, a you know pulling back from the conversation more than you were. So when you were talking about objective morality, basically what you were saying is, Hey, listen, um, as uh, a society or a culture or the world that there are these things we intuitively know, probably through um, some aspect of evolution, our evolutionary development, you know, the idea that we are, you know, in order to thrive as a species, we need to be able to get along to a certain extent and things like that, that, that there are certain, um, certain things as a species that we want to accomplish. And one of which is we, we want to like survive. <laughs> like we want, we want to be around and that there are certain, if, if we have that as the standard, that then there are certain objective ways that we can meet that. Now, of course there's uh-huh. a lot of gray area, but there are definitely some objective standards that you can have. If you say, our goal is to do no harm or our goal is to, you know, allow the species to thrive or however you want to Sam Harris that, you know, that, that, uh-huh. that there is, 
true objective goals that, to that getting might be there. the first that might be the first use of Sam Harris as a verb. <laughs> That's right, Sam Harris. <laughs> and uh, I, I think part of that was because I had listened a few nights before. I had just finished for the second or third time the, the his book, The Moral Landscape. Uh-huh. And so I, I think I still had that running around in my head. Uh, but okay. but when when I when I when I, this epiphany came on, I thought, well, well, how is it that they can have an objective standard? And then I saw that that basically what was happening is technically, and correct me if I'm wrong, technically you're taking a subjective goal, right? Which is human flourishing or whatever, and finding an objective way to getting there. And I was, uh, during our conversations, backing out even further from the discussion and saying, mm-hmm. uh, without without understanding the distinction between the two, um, I was saying, how can we have uh, human flourishing or do no harm? Why is that this objective or why do you pick that over something else? And so the Mm -hmm. light bulb went on for me when I saw that there were these objective goals. Mm -hmm. And of course, then I, I would, uh, I would back out and say there are, objective goals within a subjective framework, but still the light bulb went on nonetheless. And so mm-hmm. I, I think my, well, well, maybe my um, discussion might be, or I might have the same, I might bring up the same points in, in the discussion that we had before, at least the next time, we cross that bridge because it will be crossed. And the next time mm-hmm. we do, I, I think I have a better understanding of what you were trying to say mm-hmm. when you say we have objective, uh, so these objective goals or objective morality within this, within this framework. And so I think one of the things I took from this is that even if you think you're right, and even if you think, um, you have exhausted, so to speak, a lot of the material or the literature. I mean, I've spent hundreds of hours reading and listening to things about objective moral values. It was just that one extra one, that one extra YouTube hmm. video where, yeah. where er- it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, huh? like the marbles, the-, the marbles just kind of stopped and lined up. And 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 uh-huh. all the stars aligned, and it was like, oh, huh. I see where he's coming from. So it 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 goes to show that no matter how much you think you know about a certain uh, subject, um, you should continue to dig, and even rehashing uh-huh. rehashing old things, right, right, is important because then your mind is kind of attaching some old things with maybe some newer things. And that's what that, you know, some newer things that you've that you've learned. And that was kind of what happened is I was taking what I already knew or what I already thought I knew with what I thought you knew and what what I thought you believed with some some new information or a new perspective. And it and it, right. it helped uh, help the light bulb go on. I think this is going to be important, uh, not just for me, because I. It, it happened and that was a cool thing for me, but also because I think it's going to help me better approach conversations about this. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing, the thing here is not so much 
I mean, the, th- the, the thing about your, this story that, you know, obviously you told me that story before, uh, the thing that really struck me is not so much, I mean, yeah, obviously we're, we're on different sides of this particular issue and we want to, you know, argue, you know, we want to continue to argue our case, but if we set that aside and just look at the, at the, at the methodology, it was, um, it, it really reminded me of this, uh, this, uh, example that one of my, uh, professors gave me back when I was in teacher school. And he said that, um, you know, our, our minds are not, um, in a constant cha- uh, state of flux, you know? And so, and he had this, uh, bag of, of sand and he said, well, watch what happens. And he, and he put the sand in this hopper and, and it was like, kind of like an hourglass. Okay. Imagine like a really big hourglass and, you know, the, the, the pile of sand was like, you know, several feet across. And so as you watched it, so he, he, he drained the sand onto the table and eventually it formed like a little cone as you would expect, but it wasn't continuously cascading down. What would happen is, uh, uh, sand would build up and build up and build up. And then there'd be like a little avalanche Mm -hmm. and, and then it would start building up and building up and building up again. And then there'd be another little avalanche and so on. And, and, and so he's saying that's the way that this big cone, that this big mountain is built. It's not built by gradual, uh, you know, slowly increasing constantly, you know, into a cone, it would be like these little avalanches. And he caught, he was using it as an example to uh, talking about teachable moments. And mm-hmm. that may or may not be, be relevant to what we're talking about here, but it was like, you know, we all, we all are guilty of this. We all get into these little ruts, right? We all, we all, you know, we all kind of, you know, even those of us who like to think that we really explore right. other people's opinions and stuff. And, and obviously, to some extent, you and I, you know, believe that about ourselves and about each other. Right. Um, but you know, we're still human beings too, and so we're subject to all this stuff. But uh, you know, we kind of get in this rut, and so you know, you feel like you're banging your head against this other person, and it's really easy to to lose sight of this one little thing. And I, I'm not picking on this just because it's you. I, I I think it's fat. You know, when you told me that story, I was like, that is the most. You know, even if it was about a totally neutral subject, right. I thought. You know, that interests me as a as a teacher, as a, you know, somebody who's interested in the human condition and the human mind and so on. It was just I was just really cool. And, and I, you know, how did you feel? How did you, I mean, how did it make you feel when that happened? Did you was it enjoyable? Was it up? Uh, did, was it uncomfortable or well, it or, wasn't or what, I think what was your reaction? It, it wasn't it wasn't uncomfortable because I, I, I and I think it could have been. If I mm-hmm. if I felt that that it was is somehow at odds with what I already thought, right? But it was it right. But it was it was more excitement because I find myself more recently, and I, I hate the fact that I have to do this because it does make uh, my camp uh, appear to be ignorant on some issues, right? But I found myself is well, we're all ignorant on some is, things, and so that's as little as I know ab- about. Um, certain positions and way the way people think more and more I'm having discussions with um, either religious or more conservative people. And I find myself saying, no, that that's not what they would say. They would say Mm -hmm. this. And then I try my best to steel man their argument. Right. And Mm -hmm. this is what they would say. Now, what would you say to that? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, to me, um, I, I find it, invaluable to be able to have um, um, an understanding about someone's position where 
like I feel like I know enough about their position where they could say, yeah, that's exactly what I believe. Uh-huh. And I think that that will only uh, further help me in the future with, I, I almost felt like it was like almost um, uh, support in terms of it, it, it reminded me to just keep digging, right? Like uh-huh. soon, even when you feel like you've hit bedrock, just, right, just right. keep digging because little things like this can happen that bring you closer to truth. And if it's mm-hmm. just, even if my mind hasn't changed at all, uh, it's valuable that now I, I have a better idea, a more closer um, um, representation of your position. I think that right. you're closer to truth. If you mm-hmm. can steel man someone's position, really understand it, you're getting closer to truth. And so mm-hmm. for me, that was exciting to right. be like, oh man, I got, and I think I texted you like my next stop. I'm like, oh, I yeah, it's like you couldn't, you couldn't wait. <laughs> I'm to like, tell I gotta him. text this to him and, <laughs> and let him know, hey, yeah. I think I understand your position finally. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, That's so funny. it was, it was really cool. It was really exciting. And, um, and just so if, if you think, you know what it is you know that's yeah. fine just keep digging and even if you have yep. to rehash old things uh that's important not just to support your already f- believed conclusions um mm-hmm. but but because you can't pick up on everything uh thoroughly you know one time through or two times through sometimes it takes a handful of times before you really right, understand right. Uh, what's going on. And even when you think right. you do understand it, you might not. And for right. me, that was, I, I was just, I was thinking, Oh, now I know what he meant. Right. And it right. was like, Oh, if I could go back, you know, like, I don't know <laughs> that, I don't know that, I, I don't know that any of my arguments would have changed, but you would have probably been less frustrated because right. I would have understood exactly what we, you were saying. We, we could have, we could have reached this impasse much more right, quickly. Right. We could have right. fought over the impasse rather than getting right. there. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and while you were saying that, it reminded me of, I mean, this is something uh, I'm a, I'm a math teacher, right? And so this semester I'm teaching uh, calculus two and statistics, and, you know, and so I see this kind of thing. I see students struggling and struggling and struggling. And I, and I keep telling them just hang in there, hang in there. And then all of a sudden, Ah, you know, I see the the frown turns to a smile, and they're like, "Oh, okay, I got right. it." You know, obviously that doesn't happen all the time, but um, it was just a, uh, it's just an amazing thing to see, and, I, and I'm glad that you uh, chose to, you know, share that with you me. Know, I think that um, was, that's that was a really cool thing. You, you know, it, it's like those optical illusions, not the easy ones, not not the rabbit in the the bunny or the rabbit in the person or I I'm talking about the hard optical illusions where there's two different things. And for the Mm -hmm. life of you, you can only see one of the two things and, and people are like, no, it's right there. No, it's can't you see. And and you're like, no, all I see is a stupid bunny. That's all I see. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, I don't know if it's the angle you look at it or if it's because it's the 58th time you've looked at it or because somebody pointed out a little uh, corner, uh, uh, you know, a a little intersection of of two lines of ink uh, that that somehow made that kind of come together as that second image. And now now you're like, oh, oh, I see it now. 
And so it, for me, it was like one of those optical illusions where I was finally able to see uh, exactly uh, exactly what you were talking about. So it was cool. Right. Awesome. So what you're saying is we should have another, we should continue our discussion Absolutely. on morality at yeah. some point. <laughs> yeah. Now with now that you know you now you can strike right at the heart, that's right? right? That's now you, right. you've uh, I've exposed my uh, my delicate underbelly, right? And you're <laughs> ready right. to strike. That's right. Okay. Oh, uh, gotcha. it was good. All yeah, right. it was good. Well, cool. All right, great story, Jamie. Great story. And that about wraps it up for episode number 17. Please send us your ideas, questions, and comments to email at godornotpodcast.com. If you'd like to know more about the topics covered in this episode, Jamie recommends From God to Us, How We Got Our Bible by uh, the great late Norman Geisler. So I know this isn't like specifically about Scott going to church, um, but there was a good uh, portion where we talked about uh, Job, the book of Job and his thing. We talked about some of the things in the Bible. And so I just thought it was appropriate to recommend this book. It basically shows um, how we got our Bible, the different lines of ancient manuscripts and how things were passed down and all that kind of good stuff. That's from God to us, how we got our Bible by Norman Geisler. All right. And I recommend uh, on this theme of comparing uh, science and religion, this book is called Faith Versus Fact, Why Science and Religion Are Incompatible. And it's written by uh, an evolutionary biologist by the wow. name of Jerry Coyne. And Shot he, across he wrote, the bow there. <laughs> yeah, he definitely he definitely has an opinion. He's he definitely has punches. an opinion. Jeez. Yeah, he's he's pushing he's pushing things one way, but it's uh, I found his approach was interesting. Um, I, I might not, uh, I would not state things so strongly as he did. Um, but I do, I do like, uh, the book because I like the approach that he used. Um, he would compare, he compared things like, uh, method outcome and philosophy of the, of the different approaches. And mm -hmm. so, um, and being a, being a biologist, he focused on things like on evolution. He actually, uh, wrote a book called why evolution is true. And so mm -hmm. he focused on things like evolution on things like vaccinations mm -hmm. on things like, uh, climate change and other things that don't necessarily apply to all religions. Um, but, but, uh, I, I think he was more addressing specific religions in the United States, um, but anyway, so the name, so the name of the book again was fat faith versus fact, why science and religion are incompatible. And it's by Jerry Coyne. All right, then. So thanks for joining us. And we hope you'll be back with us next time when Jamie and I will be talking about free will. Boy, that's a topic that nobody Ooh. ever argues about. Right. right so, yeah. uh, so Jamie and I will be tackling free will and we'll see how that, uh, might not plays have a choice. With our, might not have a choice uh, depending upon. That's true. <laughs> we might not, we might not. Uh, uh, okay. Well, until then, this is your dialectic duo. Uh, until then, this is your dialectic <laughs> duo reminding you to talk to each other. <laughs> see ya. Dude, I say you keep all that in there. That was. If you don't want to, that's fine. I think that's kind of funny, though. It's, it's, okay. All right. Yeah, well, I'll see how it sounds. We'll all see right. how it sounds. I'll put it in. This has been the God or Not Podcast. Send your questions or comments to email at godornotpodcast.com. If you'd like to support the show or grab some God or Not gear, please visit the website at www.godornotpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>